This is Metacast. Chris Downey, Dave Rogers, Otha Henry, Brad Hykus. Uh, we're going to be discussing various topics that affect the daily operation of our service, as well as discuss treatment guidelines, medications, QA, QI issues, uh, better documentation, and whatever else we feel that is important to you uh, in your daily quest to be the best medic that you can be. Uh, today I'm going to be uh, talking by myself. This is the initial uh, recording podcast that I'm trying uh, I don't really have enough equipment here yet for any others to join in. Uh, so I thought I'd just make a short recording uh, to cover, you know, a specific topic that uh, we've been noticing in uh, our QAQI uh, research of different runs that might need a little uh, addressment uh, so you can uh, refine your uh, treatment modalities. Uh, so today we're going to uh, talk about some traumatic cardiac arrest uh, and how it differs from a uh, medical cardiac arrest. Uh, we'll discuss our department guidelines on traumatic cardiac arrest and talk about some of the best practices and treatments uh, that you can provide to your patients uh, in these uh, difficult situations that you're going to be encountering. Uh, traumatic arrest can be classified as a uh, pulseless patient caused by blunt and or penetrating trauma. One key thing to remember is that the patient may not actually be in cardiac arrest. Rather, they may just be pulseless. Uh, the heart is not functioning as an effective pump to circulate the blood to the tissues. Uh, this is normally caused by a volume issue or an obstruction issue and may not uh, be the actual heart muscle malfunctioning uh, like in a medical cardiac arrest. This is the reason to treat the reversible causes in a traumatic arrest and not focus on medications like epinephrine, amiodarone, lidocaine, etc., etc. Remember, uh, there's really no indication of any medication administration initially in a traumatic cardiac arrest outside of the possibility of TXA, uh, but that would really be more down the line after you're transporting. Uh, so anyway, let's talk about uh, PEA. Many of the traumatic arrest patients you find and consider workable uh, present in PEA. Uh, many may not realize, uh, but there are a couple different versions of PEA. Uh, so, you know, the PEA that we learned about in paramedic school, we've talked about forever. Uh, some of us uh, even referred to it as EMD uh, years ago. Uh, but anyway, it means pulseless electrical activity. And it's the presence of an organized electrical activity uh, on the cardiac monitor, but no mechanical action of the myocardium wall. Uh, so, you know, there's just current, uh, you know, electrical current going through the heart muscle uh, but the muscle itself, the tissue, is not responding to it. There is no activity uh, of the, uh, the ventricular walls, atrial walls, anything like that at all. 
Now, opposed to what's known as a pseudo-PEA, this is an organized electrical rhythm on the cardiac monitor, just like in your PEA. Uh, There's no pulse present. Uh, But the heart muscle itself may actually still have mechanical activity. Uh, These are the patients, if early treatment of reversible causes are corrected, have a significantly better chance of survival. Uh, Sadly, uh, you know, or ideally, I guess we would say, the use of ultrasound is really required to determine uh, which type of PEA is actually present. Uh, Since we don't currently employ ultrasound in the field here at EBR-EMS, rapid performance of invasive treatments uh, such as decompression, a needle decompression, uh, simple thoracostomy, and or pericardial synthesis should be deployed. Uh, One thing that I would like to point out that uh, we've kind of drilled it into your heads and it probably wasn't in uh, the patient's best interest uh, to go with a simple finger thoracostomy and just basically forget about needle decompression. Uh, It would really probably be in your patient's best interest if uh, you would consider, uh, you know, doing needle decompressions uh, initially. I mean, if you really look at it, you can uh, dart somebody in a a matter of seconds. Uh, You know, for years, we didn't really have the the proper needle to to do the decompressions. We didn't have long enough needles. Uh, But we do have the right product now, so, uh, you know, it'd probably be in your patient's best interest if you would consider doing a a needle decompression. And... uh, you know how we've always taught you to do the needle decompressions like the second or third uh, intercostal space, uh, midclavicular, probably the best place uh, to place uh, needle decompressions, particularly on your traumatic PEA patients, uh, would be between the fifth and sixth intercostal space in the mid-axillary line. Uh, Basically in the same area, if you were going to cut somebody with a simple thoracostomy, uh, just just basically uh, dart them in the same area. Uh, if you don't see an immediate relief uh, from that needle decompression, then it would probably be in uh, the patient's best interest to go ahead and uh, consider a, a simple finger thoracostomy. So when you're uh, presented with the uh, asystolic or the uh, PEA uh, traumatic cardiac arrest patient, uh, one thing that we like to look at, uh, first of all, is what is the rate, particularly in the PEA patient. Uh, patients with a, uh, a PEA rate of greater than 40 beats per minute on the cardiac monitor uh, seem to uh, respond much better uh, to treatment of any of the reversible causes that we can do in the field than those with the rates below 40. So uh, when you start looking at, uh, is my patient obviously dead or is there a chance of presumptive death, uh, we want to look at it uh, from, from this matter. So, you know, when we're looking at like a blunt trauma patient, you know, that's asystolic or MPEA, is, our, is my rate below 40 or greater than 40? The ones that are less than 40, uh, we may want to quickly try to... Uh, treat some of the reversible causes like with the chest decompression uh, or the uh, simple finger thoracostomy or potentially with a uh, pericardial synthesis if indicated. Uh, If we don't see a uh, immediate uh, 
somewhat improvement with the patient, like increased heart rate, uh, we're starting to feel peripheral pulses now, then you may uh, need to consider uh, termination of that resuscitation. And always remember as well, too, with the uh, presumptive death, uh, that that requires uh, contact with medical control uh, for that termination of resuscitation. Uh, penetrating trauma, uh, it's uh, somewhat the same as well, too. Uh, one key point that uh, I want to stress with the penetrating trauma patients that surprisingly they have a much better chance of survival from the event than a blunt trauma patient. So we need to uh, consider very rapid transport of these patients, uh, the ones with uh, penetrating trauma, uh, if they want to uh, get to uh, basically a surgeon as quickly as possible, because like a thoracotomy is basically about the definitive care for these folks. And from the time of injury up to about 15 minutes is the window that you have uh, for any kind of success to come from a uh, th surgical thoracotomy. So let's uh, just kind of do a, a quick uh, go over of the uh, trauma arrest guideline. So, like say, uh, it, we, in all of our guidelines, uh, it usually starts out with our goals. So our goals, and this is going to be rapid identification of any correctable cause of the patient being pulseless or identifying injuries that are non-compatible with life, and then rapid transport to a trauma center when indicated. So, uh, you know, when we look at the uh, correctable causes, uh, some of the different items we can look at are like uh, airway compromise issues. Uh, you know, does my patient have an open airway? Uh, can I correct that with like a jaw thrust? Uh, any adjuncts? Uh, can I ventilate my patient properly with a back valve mask or do I need to move uh, directly to a surgical cricothyrotomy? Uh, no joke, folks. Uh, you know, if you can't get that airway open... Uh, you need to move to that uh, crike about as quickly as you can. Other uh, treatable causes in the traumatic arrest, things like a tension pneumothorax, uh, you know, those can be relieved quickly with a needle decompression. Uh, if you get a, do a needle decompression and you don't get a, immediate uh, results from that, you may consider a finger thoracostomy. I just want to stress that... Uh, you know, don't put as much emphasis on that thoracostomy in the beginning. Uh, try your needle decompression first uh, if, if it looks like it's indicated. It's a very, very, very quick procedure to uh, dart somebody. Uh, remember, like I said earlier, try to go with between the fifth and sixth intercostal space mid-axillary as opposed to uh, the traditional uh, mid-clavicular that we've used for the past few years. Other th as well, too, if uh, your patient has blunt trauma to the chest or penetrating and uh, you do see uh, the potential indications of uh, pericardial tamponade to uh, do a uh, pericardiocentesis as rapidly as possible. Now, ideally, we don't really want to be doing pericardiocentesis uh, without the guidement of ultrasound. But like I said, since we don't have that uh, tool to utilize now, uh, we're going to have to do it as a blind procedure. So it's, it's kind of like a, a Hail Mary last-ditch effort. Uh, the, 
one of the more important things to stress with all these procedures being done is they need to be performed very, very, very expediously. Because, uh, you know, our goal is to be transporting this patient uh, within 10 minutes of arrival on scene when at all possible. Uh, we're not doing our patients any good at all if we spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes on scene doing all these procedures and then go to transport our patients. Uh, it just it just really shouldn't be working like that. You know, so, you know, if you have, uh, you know, quick contact with your patient, you do your thoracostomy or you do your uh, needle decompression and you don't see any results from that, uh, your patient's in PEA, and particularly if it's like in a rate of less than 40, you really need to be contacting medical control and considering termination of that resuscitation effort. So, you know, like I say, our goal, 10-minute scene time max, uh, or do any procedures en route that you can. Now, we've always been stressing to you, don't be doing thoracostomies, uh, things utilizing the scalpel, bouncing down the road. That's for your your own safety. Uh, those should be done immediately on scene. So, like, you know, open your airway. If I can ventilate my patient, that's good. Listen to my lung sounds. If I don't hear any breath sounds, I should immediately uh, decompress that uh, patient with the needle. If I don't uh, get any kind of immediate response from that, I can go ahead and try my thoracostomy. And if that doesn't uh, alleviate my patient's situation or you don't see some improvement, then we need to, like, say, consider contacting medical control and terminate or immediately start transporting your patient. So I, I've stressed quite a few things already, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and go over the pearls of this guideline. Uh, like I say, we have covered quite a few of them already, but I'm just going to go down them uh, in order. Uh, so, you know, like I say, the first thing, surgical intervention is definitive care. Do not waste time on scene establishing an advanced airway unless their airway is compromised and that's suspected to be the cause or the contributing factor of the arrest and an advanced airway is required to address that compromise. You know, any kind of advanced airway procedures can be done during transport if, if they're even needed at all. Uh, like I said, now, if they need a cricothyrotomy, then yes, you would need to do that uh, as quickly as possible. Please don't try to do cricothyrotomies uh, bouncing down the road and uh, injure or risk injuring yourself or causing uh, more harm to your patient. Uh, when no correctable causes of trauma exist and there are no signs of presumptive death and there are no injuries incompatible with life, load and go with your patient. You know, we're not going to be sitting there, you know, trying to diagnose everything uh, on scene doing all these procedures if you don't see an immediate need to do them. Remember to contact LEARN as time permits. Uh, CPR is to be performed without an emphasis on cardiac medication administration. Uh, remember, uh, it's not really a true heart problem that your patient's having. Uh, they're having either a volume issue or some type of obstruction issue. So our goal is to try to correct those causes of the arrest, uh, reverse those. So hopefully we can get either a good circulation going on or good ventilation. And uh, also remember, do not overventilate your patient. Uh, you know, depending on if you have an advanced airway or not, 10 to 12 times a minute, uh, you know, enough to see good chest rise. Uh, remember to monitor your SpO2 and your entitle. Uh, don't forget as well, though, that the uh, 
the SpO2 may not always be that accurate, particularly if you have a patient in a shock situation, as uh, you know, that's monitoring capillary blood flow. And if a patient's in a true shock situation, uh, they're not going to have you know, any capillary blood flow going on, or it's going to be very, very, very decreased. Remember as well, too, that paramedics should use a good sound clinical judgment when determining dead at scene. Uh, don't forget, you know, the difference between presumptive death and obvious death. So if you do see signs of presumptive death uh, and you're considering termination, you're going to need medical control uh, guidance for that. Uh, for that termination order. As well, too, trauma center arrival goal is 17 minutes or less from uh, the time of arrest. So, you know, that's very difficult to do in our system, uh, but you really, really, really need to be cognizant uh, of your scene time and get your patient to definitive care if transport is going to occur uh, in, a, in a very expeditious manner. You know, I, I just can't stress enough that, you know, we spend entirely too much time on the majority of our trauma scenes for our significantly injured patients in our system. Uh, I think the last time I looked, our average scene time was like 19 minutes and 38 seconds. Uh, that was over the last 30 days when I looked at... Uh, trauma arrest patients where either a decompression, a thoracostomy, or a pericardiocentesis was done. Uh, so, you know, if you remember back to what we said earlier, you know, our goal is to have a scene time of 10 minutes or less. Patients with penetrating trauma uh, really need a, a surgical thoracotomy uh, for their best chance of survival from that event, uh, but you really have about a 15-minute time frame for that to be effective so you know you're down to like the one percent or less have a chance of survival from that so like i said it's uh, do what you can to minimize your scene time if you don't see any reason for a reversible cause procedure to be done immediately consider either termination or immediate load and go transport of your patient uh, like say contact learn get those patients into the learn system if you can uh, so uh, that benefits everybody on down the line and always remember as well you know this guideline does not supersede mass casualty incident triage so you know that's uh a whole other discussion at this time but uh you know when we're in a mass casualty situation uh, we're not going to be awarded the luxury of doing treating uh, these uh reversible causes uh, we would just have to black tag our patient and move on to uh, the others that can benefit from uh, our treatment at the scene so that's about uh, all I've got to talk about on this subject. Uh, like I say, this is uh, my first shot at podcasting. I'm sure my audio really sucks. Uh, I know I say uh a lot. I'm going to really work on that. Uh, hard telling what the uh, sound quality is going to be like this when it's done. But we're going to keep practicing at it and uh, do what we can to bring you the information that you need. I find podcasting to be a, a good medium. You can listen to these um, 
broadcasts during your commute to work. Uh, you know, if you're just bored at home, you can sit around and listen to them as well, too. In the future as well, uh, like I said, we'll have other topics uh, within within our podcast. I want to try to have like segments, like I said, with our topic of the day. I would like to cover uh, a specific medication in each broadcast uh, and go over some QAQI issues uh, that we see. Uh, because really, if if you don't know uh, the mistakes that you're making in your documentation, well, you just don't know. So uh, as opposed to sitting there and sending out you know, email after email after email to people, you know, I would just like to be able to present it out in this type of format. So, uh, you know, you get an overall of what we're looking for in better documentation. So anyway, until next time, uh, that's about all I have. Uh, If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you know, give us a call, give us an email. Uh, If you have any suggestions for shows, uh, let us know as well. And until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye.